Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today we are going to be reviewing the film Hocus Pocus 2. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for this film? Sure. Two young women accidentally bring back the Sanderson sisters to modern-day Salem and must figure out how to stop the child-hungry witches from wreaking havoc on the world. All right. And in sweet tradition, let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for Hocus Pocus 2. Mine is nostalgia and product placement working in tandem. (laughs) Yes. Indeed. This is a this is a one giant ad. Absolutely. They gotta fund this somehow. I'm I'm saying, you know, they at least they're being clear about this is why we're making this movie and this is how we're making the money to make this movie. It's great. Mm-hmm. Just be clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My one sentence summary is this is Winifred's world and we're all just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. She is captivating, which we can talk about at some point. All right. So let's start off with our initial thoughts of Hocus Pocus 2. We won't include any spoilers yet in case you haven't seen this yet and want to go in blind. And while we're sharing our initial thoughts, perhaps we can also touch on your relationship with uh, the first Hocus Pocus. I think that would be some helpful context for the rest of our conversation. All right, Sarah, were you, did you grow up watching Hocus Pocus 2? And uh, how did this sequel fare? I, I had seen Hocus Pocus. I don't think that I watched it very often. Uh, I think this is – I don't think we owned this movie. So, like, if I ever watched it, it was over at a friend's house. I actually think one of my friends really loved this movie. And so like every time in October when I went over to her house, we would watch Hocus Pocus. But all that to say, I've seen it. I don't have a very clear recollection of it. Um, there are elements like, you know, seeing their outfits and their characters and all of that. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now stuff is, is coming back. But I don't really, really remember the first movie. But even with that, I had a great time with the second movie. Um, I was really impressed at how they were able to to recreate like the goofiness and the kind of campiness of 90s Disney movies. Uh, That was just so fun. And so it was just goofy and silly. Uh, Had a great time with it. The nostalgia got me. Uh, It's not you know, a a cinematic masterpiece. Like, you know what you're going in to watch when you're going to watch Hocus Pocus 2. And it it delivered on that. I do have an issue with the ending, just a little bit. Uh, Oh, okay. Wish that they maybe would have done something a little bit different. But Mm. on the whole, I had a great time with it. There's a lot of things that I really enjoyed uh, with this movie. And it's just... You know what you're getting when you're watching Hocus Pocus 2. Whatever you're imagining Hocus Pocus 2 to be, 
it is that. Like it just it delivers on its name. It keeps the brand going, the silliness going. Uh and if you're in the mood for that, it's a great time. Yeah, I also had a great time with this movie, which I was surprised at how much fun this movie is. I uh, I'll start I guess with um, my relationship with Hocus Pocus, the first movie was it was always just on in the background. I don't think I've ever sat down to watch it. It's kind of like mood music on Halloween night. And I, I remember being on sometimes and we would be like back at a friend's house trading our trick-or-treat candy and whatnot. And it's it's just – it's like an atmosphere. It's a vibe. It sets the tone. It's lighthearted. It's fun. And Hocus Pocus 2 does a lot of the same things. It's – Nothing super showy and and um, it's not trying to be something that it's not. It very much feels like the perfect movie to put on while kids are coming to the, your door and you're handing out Halloween candy or you just want to get in the mood for the month of October and watch something Halloween-y. Like this very much feels like the um, – Part one of the many things that you do, maybe around your home or you buy the candy corn to like get into the October Halloween spirit, and it checks all those boxes. It's it's a really fun time. Um, the characters are are pretty dynamic. They are very much in line with what I remember them to be from many many years ago when I had Hocus Pocus on in the background. Um, there's some interesting choices that the movie does with its style of jokes, which I, I think that we'll talk about, and I wonder how well they will age. Um, and so overall, I had a great time with this. It's It was surprising to me how much I appreciated being back in that like Disney movie that, that I remember um, watching so many Disney Channel original movies from like the 2000s and um, a lot of the cheesiness and the like good naturedness is very much woven throughout this movie, which was kind of fun to revisit and feel like a kid again and watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very specific vibe. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like we don't have that anymore. You know, I feel like in the, in the nineties and like early two thousands, Disney just got into this really like cheesy mode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really fun to go back and revisit that every once in a while. And this this definitely hit the spot. Mm-hmm. It feels like a time machine. Yeah. And, yeah, and the like utter lack of character development is very much in line. <laughs> you know, like the like feel good ending with the friends and whatnot. All all checks it checks all the boxes. Like how do they get from being uh apart from each other and fighting to all of a sudden like there's reconciliation like who cares it doesn't matter they come together at the end that's all that matters <laughs> that's yeah. all that matters also like battling three witches who want to eat children is probably a good reason to drop your squibble like your squabbles and just come together as as friends to defeat witches you know, right. I mean, common enemy. I, I feel like that's a good, as good a reason as any to say, you know what, let's just drop this for a minute and be friends again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's that there's like this optimism and this like hopefulness that is kind of endearing. I expect it to be yeah. 
I, I didn't expect that to like work so well for me. I, th- I thought I would be like, oh, okay, this is all eye roll, you know, thin. But somehow capture that same spirit so well that you just feel like you went back in time and you're a kid again watching this. All right. Good job, Disney. You got the nostalgia. Well mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. This movie is also doing very well, apparently. Yeah. Um, from like the streaming numbers perspective, I think it's mm, – you know, in its early few days, like, has done very, very well. And people are showing up for this. They're watching the first Hocus Pocus as well. I think that's risen up high on the charts of of people engaging. So um, I wonder – I would not be surprised if we got a Hocus Pocus 3. They set it up for it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I read on IMDb, quote – Based on hours watched domestically in the first three days, as of October 2022, Hocus Pocus 2 is the number one film premiere on Disney Plus ever in the United States. Oh my gosh. That's like, wild. Like, how crazy is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some really good movies, like good, good movies that came out yeah. on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better in quality than this. And yet this is the one that uh, that people are showing up them all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So before we dive into like spoiler territory, I did some maths and I think it's fascinating just observationally. I just think it's fascinating that this is 29 years after the original. And I was thinking about how that is kind of the perfect time frame for a generation to have that has grown up with something or was part of their childhood to to now be adults that have young children that they can then one revisit their childhood with uh, but two introduce this franchise with their child so i did some maths top gun again it's a re- iconic mm-hmm. uh 36 years after the original Space Jam was the other one that came to mind, and that's 25 years. Yeah. So I think something about this, like, 25 to 35-year time frame is, like, perfectly a generation that has now grown up and has kids that both the child and the parent are, like, can can engage in this together. Um, so, that, you know, I'm like, what is coming out now that in 30 years we're going to see a sequel for that we just are like, okay, I guess that was a thing. Um that we're now revisiting again 30 years later. Yeah, and uh, The Matrix would fall in that too. Uh, um, yeah, yeah it, but it's it's interesting though because I – so of those four, I really feel like Top Gun did phenomenal. It is a great movie on its own, great follow-up. I feel like Hocus Pocus 2 – Mm-hmm. Both Top Gun and Hocus Pocus 2 were able to capture that nostalgia and like do it right. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I feel like both The Matrix and Space Jam, they tried to capture it, but didn't quite get there. You know, I yeah. I was the only one who had a good time with that Matrix movie <laughs> because yes. I got wrapped up in the nostalgia, but it's it not a good real. movie. Um and and Space Jam was not a good time, especially because the first one is still so good. Ah, everybody go watch Space Jam. It's great. Um, so it's just interesting, though, how, you know, 20, 30 years later, 
they try to redo these movies and sometimes it works really, really well. And sometimes it falls absolutely flat. And I'll be, I'll be interested to see kind of if we can figure out where that line is and, and what makes these good movies, what makes the nostalgia really, really work. And then what elements make it difficult to engage in, even if they're trying to play up the nostalgia and IP that we love. Mm -hmm. Like in some ways, the nostalgia will get the butts and seats to go Mm -hmm. and watch, but does it really land and what makes something really land well? Um, Because if we think about what Top Gun leans into and what Hocus Pocus leans into, they, they, they feel like they have such an understanding of themselves and who they are yeah. and they know how to capitalize and just give you that. Like Top Gun's not trying to give you a incredibly nuanced story about this man who has been um, – you know, like jaded by his life experiences. There's pieces of that, but like we're not really leaning into that that heavy emotional character driven story. We're here for like big showy set pieces, do action really, really well, and like give us the iconic things, and we'll, we'll be we'll be pretty happy. Um, and I feel like The Matrix and Space Jam almost try too hard to be fresh and interesting and mm-hmm. new mm-hmm. Um, without capturing the essence of like who they what that brand really represents yeah yeah that that's a good call man you just you just gotta know who you are whether you're a person or Or you're a movie franchise or a movie yes yeah (laughs) Yeah. just just be true to yourself franchises Mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens yeah yeah The other thing that I was thinking about that I think Hocus Pocus has going for it is that it is such a, like a, 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 you know, seasonal piece that can be revisited year after year after year. Like I was reading online of people that are in this cult following for Hocus Pocus that literally watch it every year on Halloween. And that being part of this like cyclical – you know, tradition, the same way that Christmas movies have this like like repeat value that it almost becomes like part of your family's tradition is kind of interesting to think about too. I'm sure that helps with Hocus Pocus to being able to land because it's not like we've forgotten about Hocus Pocus. Well, for you and I, you know, we have. Um, <laughs> but for some people, this is like exciting to get to see more of this world that they have been steeped in year after year after year in October. And it's also such a smart choice uh, from a marketing perspective because, you know, during spooky season, a lot of the movies available are horror films. And so to be able to create a a kid-friendly, lighthearted movie that fits into spooky season but is not horror is actually pretty brilliant. Uh, And so I, I think you're right. The fact that every year in October people will watch this movie for as long as it's available is is pretty brilliant from a, a marketing perspective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it almost like doesn't even serve the traditional like things we're looking for in a movie it's like a mood piece mm-hmm. you know like it's yeah. the thing you have on your tv as you're sipping apple cider in your like 
with surrounded by pumpkins and like doing all the themed stuff. It's like part of the thematic experience, the way that when people are watching Elf year after year, it's like you want your mocha and your yeah. peppermint. It's it's a mood piece that is creating this ambiance that you get to just kind of soak in, which is so different from most of the ways that we will talk about movies and and look at movies the majority of them that we talk about on this podcast. This is this is like its own little category. Yeah. I'm I'm very intrigued now cuz you know, we we've, we've talked about a lot of times with like a Netflix film that you can just have on the background while you're doing laundry or cooking dinner or whatever. And we usually say that as like a negative thing. Mm, yeah. But in this case, it actually is is a strength of this movie mm-hmm. that it is it'll be on in the background and you can revisit it every year and still have a good time with it because there's enough there's enough in there that you can like sit and watch it but you don't have to yeah uh, yeah you're yeah. right it's 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 part of the background it's part of the ambiance of of this season mm-hmm. and I think you also brought up a good point earlier which is that it is kid-friendly and there are so few like Halloween-y October movies that are kid-friendly that you can truly just have on. There's a couple, but, you know, like this is so goofy. It's It's got the black cat. It's got the like magic in it. It has the witches and the moon. It feels like um, very easy and accessible to put on the TV if you have kids at home too. Man, Disney is just out here making moves. I know. For Halloween. It's smart. It is really smart, actually. Man. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost similar to the conversation people will have around, like, iconic artists that that have recorded the the version of a Christmas song, you know, and that Mm -hmm. it's almost like this, like, immortality for them. Like, they will just be played till the end of time because we want um, Bing Crosby's version of White Christmas because that is the one you know that the radio will play and will play everywhere that's become iconic and so that that artist is like immortalized the Sanderson sisters are immortalized wow they're immortalized they have made it (laughs) all because of they're fighting so hard to survive when in reality (laughs) in the real world this is getting real meta but they they have achieved what they are looking for They got what they wanted and they didn't even need to eat any children. Wow. I didn't even know. Good job, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, this seems like a good time to include a spoiler alert if you haven't seen Hocus Pocus 2. It's a fun one. We recommend checking it out. um, And we will talk about the ending and all the things that happen in it. Where shall we go next? Can Can I share my qualm? Yes. With the ending? Yes. Okay. I I was tracking with it. I was like, this is great. I'm loving this. It's all about teamwork. Heck yeah, this is wonderful. And then they tried to make the the antagonist empathetic. And I went, why are we trying to empathize with witches who murdered children or wanted to murder children to make Mm. them powerful and beautiful like I just I don't think that we needed that I think 
because they're they're likable, they're goofy, so they're not they're not scary witches, but they're still the bad guys. And I I don't yeah. think that we needed to have this emotional moment of like, oh, she actually really cares most about her sisters, and then we feel bad for her. You know, I just mm, right. I didn't I didn't love that. I think that they could have just been these bad evil witches who were funny, but they were still bad and evil. And that's good enough. And we could have just gotten rid of them. Because mm-hmm. in their yeah. first movie, they just disappear. Where there's, there, there isn't this empathetic moment, right? I watched like a three-minute recap video. I remember? honestly I really don't, don't remember. Huh? Cannot tell you. But I could imagine in the 90s, we're not trying yeah, to do this empathetic villain thing. Like yeah, I don't They just they disappear were. and they lost. Yeah. Makes us suck. <laughs> that sounds on brand for the yes. 90s, honestly. Well, because when they make Hocus Pocus 3, like, it's not as fun to see them when they come back and they're still trying to eat children, you know? Maybe it will be, but, you I mean, know, it kind of takes away a little bit of the pizzazz, <laughs> the tension. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get it if they're going to do another one, then you – but, I mean, did did we really need to empathize with the – the, no, the we didn't. But it's like they wrap them. up every loose they loose thread. You know, like everything is resolved. Even I thought actually what your qualm was gonna be was the boyfriend of Cassie and that like moment that they give him where oh it, he doesn't understand that when he calls people weird mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. mean. Like, oh he just doesn't know. I thought you were gonna I thought that was gonna be your qualm. <laughs> No, I honestly had forgotten that he existed. <laughs> That's fair too. He, He's kind he of irrelevant. Was not, he was not important to my to my viewing experience. No, he wasn't. He's just, <laughs> you know, color. He background he background is. piece. Yes, he is background of the background. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in such a simple story, we didn't need it. I didn't mind it too much. It's kind of like in line with that Disney cheesy ending. The happy the happy ever after. We lived happily ever after. But yeah, we do a lot of that these days. Empathetic feelings. We we do. And I, I like it some of the time. But I also like it when the villains are villains. Like sometimes that's really nice to see. And I feel like this is a really good opportunity uh, for that. But maybe that's Especially because they are charismatic enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you needed that to humanize mm-hmm. them because we no. were already entertained by them. We had a great time with them. Uh, I, I don't think we needed it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um. It's feel good, I guess. Yeah. Maybe feeling like warm and fuzzy inside. Like, oh, <laughs> Winifred chose her sisters. How sweet. Very sweet indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought the main characters were pretty underdeveloped, the, the, the kids. Which, as we talked about earlier, is in line with a lot of the other, you know, 90s, 2000s Disney movies. But – the, when I thought about it after the movie ended, I was like, they could have had a little bit more personality. I think it would have made the movie feel more exciting. Um, 
had they had a little more pizzazz, like they were just so vanilla uh, that I feel like there could have been a little bit more that could have added to this movie feeling even more um, exciting and full than it does now. Because the Sanderson sisters are so colorful and so dynamic and they have such big personalities that honestly the the three girls just – we we knew nothing about them and they had no interesting lines. Like there could have been more chemistry between them that I think could have added even more color and fun to this movie. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on, on those three. Yeah. I, I do wonder though uh, if they're going to make it not like, a Hocus Pocus 3 with the Sanderson sisters, but if they're going to do kind of a spinoff of like Becca learning how to become a witch and then like maybe they're developing these characters and giving Mm. them more. That's what Mm. I kept wondering while watching. I was like, Ooh, Becca, are you going to get your own show girl? What are are we doing with you? Um, But yeah, I think that there was opportunity there to do more I also wonder if because the Sanderson sisters are so big and over the top that they were like wow we can't go like too big with these teenage girls uh because it might just be too much uh I could see that almost being a a concern um and I, I think that's also maybe the struggle with this type of a movie because the Sanderson sisters are the antagonists but they're the most interesting thing in the movie. So even though they're doing bad things, we're spending most of our time with them. And we know the least about our protagonists who are Mm -hmm. trying to stop the people who we know the most. So it's just a weird formula of a movie where, where the, the, the bad guys are the, the engaging ones, but you you need to spend time on them because they're where they're the IP. They're where the money is, but you have to have your protagonists strong enough to root for them to vanquish the people that yeah. we know. You know, so it's just a it's a weird formula to try and balance it all. Yeah, yeah. The protagonists are almost the vehicles for the main show. Mm-hmm. They are just side characters. Yeah. It's like something for the Sanderson sisters to fight against. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And because murdering children is bad, you know, right. we're going to root for the protagonists, even if we know very, very little about them. Mm-hmm. And even though the other part of me is like, Winifred, I just want you to get what you want. Like, girl, <laughs> you, you, take, yeah. you take your destiny into your hands. Your ambitious little self, go for it, you know? Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it's like, well, uh, murdering children is wrong. So I guess, Winnie, you can't have everything you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. I'm also just like cracking up because I don't think anyone else in the world is going to analyze Hocus Pocus 2 with the same level of intensity about the dynamics between the protagonists and the antagonists (laughs) the way that we are. But I love this for us. I love this for us because it's true. There's there's a formula where this would – where this is effective at feeling still lighthearted and without it being too 
much cognitive effort and like emotional investment in these characters like maybe if the protagonists were more developed it would be far too much and you can't trade your trick-or-treat candy and still know what's going on because you know there's too much going on like oh my (laughs) gosh why is she this way now I thought she was this way it's like no the Mm -hmm. main protagonists are just pretty much the same the entire time they're just doing things to fight and like survive and fight the sisters yeah yeah and I, I wonder if it's also that idea of like the the audience can put themselves into the story yeah. you know like yeah I also wonder if if that's part of it too um because they are generic in many ways you can go like oh yeah no like we're we're doing this with you yeah yeah exactly this made me want to go back and watch shows that I grew up watching from like yeah. elementary school and middle school and be like, were all of the interactions between the characters this awkward feeling? Because like <laughs> they're just – it's it feels yeah, it's so forced and like constructed. That's part of the charm, I guess, from what we were talking about earlier with like feeling like this is a time machine. But like – all those little interactions where like they're at the festival and they talk to the mayor and it's just like they're cracking some jokes, but they're not very good. And nothing feels like how humans ever actually interact. Yeah. I, some shows are very much <laughs> like that, but not all of them. Uh, I, I feel like this is a very specific vein from the nineties. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, in, in the first, I don't know, three minutes of this movie I was like oh my gosh they nailed the tone I which it's it's so specific so I'm I'm just really impressed that they went out of their way to go okay 90s awkwardness that's what we're going for with this and and they nailed it yeah it's like this this like um good-naturedness but also like everyone is Everyone is good, but mm-hmm. everyone is awkward. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the more awkward, the better. Yeah. Just, just layer the awkward on. Can't get enough. And there's these like awkward characters that we just throw in there, like Cassie's boyfriend. Cassie and her boyfriend don't mm-hmm. seem like they even know each other. Apparently, no. we're supposed to believe that they're dating. No, definitely <laughs> not. Do not believe. It is all a lie. Like, what? So you think that all of that was actually intentionally designed to be that tone? I hadn't I thought think about so. that. I thought that was yeah. kind of a byproduct. No, I, I think that mm. that was I think that was intentional. Because even even choosing yeah. um, like Tony Hale to play the mayor, he is yeah. he's such an awkward actor, and he's he's found his his zone in that, uh, and. But even in this, like, he was more awkward than normal. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? So I, I have to believe that that was such an intentional creative mm. choice. Yeah. That they, they wanted it to be that way. Because if I think about some of the iconic shows from that time, there, there was often a character like him. It's almost like he's mm-hmm. the archetypal token, like, awkward dude yeah. who, like, is played up for a bunch of funny jokes and whatnot like the whole bit 
with him and the candy apple or him when he first stumbles upon the Sanderson sisters in his garage. Like there's always that type of character in every show. Gotta have it. It's usually like the teach, the awkward teacher or like the janitor or, you know, the sweet life of Zach and Cody. It's like one of the bellboy workers. I forget his name. I did not Best watch that one. show, so I cannot help you. <laughs> but, you know, there's always like yes. – the, or the yeah. principal. Yeah, it's an adult authority figure who is not menacing yes. and is just awkward. Yeah. Yes. But, like, yeah. well-intentioned always. Always. Have to. Which there's like I, a childlikeness about them, but they're yeah. really weird. <laughs> but they just care. Yeah, which I think is so – interesting because it's taking this authority figure that might seem you know like negative or or overbearing or you know if if you grew up in an abusive situation you know like or or deal with teachers who are who are abusive which I'm sure happens I don't know but you know like these different intimidating authority figures and and these shows and movies are able to make them seem funny and accessible so it, it it's just a different paradigm that some kids might not have experienced before and so I, I think that's such an interesting way to try and make adults in authority less scary maybe yes yeah because yeah. they're 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 the butt of the jokes and they're awkward but they're nice and and this movie I feel like just does that to an extreme that is such a fascinating way to think about it and I think some psychologist somewhere needs to dive into this phenomenon Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's so true it kind of it kind of melts away this feeling of distance and like power dynamic between the kids in the school which are usually like middle schoolers or high schoolers and this like typically uh menacing authority figure that is often doling out you know punishments of some kind it's like the teacher or the principal or something like that or it's an adult that is kind of overlooked that's the other I think Mm -hmm. category like it's the janitor or like the worker in whatever environment um is another common one what does that do to help shape the way that kids see adult figures in their life is fascinating to think about I love that you picked up on that. And Hocus Pocus 2 teaches us that they really just want a candy apple. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. That's all he wants. It's a candy apple from that very specific woman, which I was like, what in the world is she doing to these candy apples? Like, they cannot she, be that good. Yeah. He's childlike in a lot of ways because when he doesn't get that, it feels defeating. Yeah. Like, he's just disappointed. And Cassie was saying, like, he's been talking about this for weeks and he didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. His whole world is shattered when he doesn't get a candy apple. What Disney teaches us is that we're all okay. just children. True. We all get disappointed when we don't get what we want (laughs) absolutely and then we have to settle for like a gross walgreens grocery store yeah Yeah, walgreens caramel apple yeah which is not gonna be as good because we don't know what she what this other lady was putting in hers so Mm -hmm. they're not gonna compare yep (laughs) so this also teaches us that life is full of disappointments and indeed 
suck it up. So, do we want to talk about the product placement that's littered throughout this movie that you referenced in your product placement? Yes, everywhere, everywhere, literally everywhere. Yep. I was thinking about how some of those things will age over time. Um, Perhaps it'll be totally fine because Walgreens will still be around and Swiffer will still be around and another 30 years but you know a lot of the a lot of the jokes are very much tied to like these modern norms or things in our environment today and I just wonder like in in three decades when the world will likely look very different from it does now will this feel nostalgic for people to experience again um or for the kids that are alive in 30 years that have never experienced like I don't know maybe we won't have automatic opening doors it'll be something far more advanced than that like how will this age yeah yeah that's a that's a good question I I think that some of it like the opening doors gag I think is just always solid because Mm -hmm. Doors are hard and watching somebody try to navigate a door for the first time is just hilarious. So, but I, I do, I, I wondered the same thing, you know, how, how is this one going to age? But if this movie truly just is campy background noise for Halloween, it don't even matter. But I, cares, yeah. yeah, I, I did love though. Cause in the first one, when they have to like, hop on their brooms and fly uh so good kathy and jimmy however you say her name her character chooses a vacuum as her broom mm-hmm. and so then in this one for her to get like the updated roomba so if oh. they're going to do a third one uh i would be very curious what type of vacuum they would choose in the third one for her to hop on and fly so it I feel like that was one of those little moments where I was like, wow, if you've seen the first one, this is a really funny choice that she made. Um, mm. So it, it works And it's way. paid off again later when yes. they come and eat up all the salt so that they can <laughs> escape. <laughs> yeah, they're like her little sidekick yeah. creatures. Which is so – like so I never good. thought that I would I would view Roombas as cute and having personality, but this movie totally did that. Yeah, yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. But you're right. It'll be like a nostalgic thing that mom or dad or whoever on the couch on Halloween night be like, oh, yeah, back in the day we had Swiffer mobs. Now we've got freaking some robot doing it all for us. But back in the day we had to do it by hand, kiddos. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It'll be a, it'll be a you know, Conversation history starter. lesson. Yeah, history yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. Back in the olden days, we right. had to we had to toil over our floors. <laughs> yeah, we had to go to a physical Walgreens store. Ugh. Gosh, the worst! <laughs> How did we ever survive? I don't know, man. It was laborious. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another thing that I wanted to talk about that I thought was so smart and strategic for them to do is include and open the movie with this 
uh, flashback scene with the three sisters as as kids. Um, usually I'm like, okay, we could have accomplished this character development differently. But in this case, I think it helps make the relationship between the three of them and that bond feel far more significant, especially for folks that haven't seen the first movie or don't really remember the first movie that much. Like we are immediately bought into the three of them and their banter together and their bond for each other and their care for each other from the beginning because we were able to see them as kids and figuring out how to survive in this this in this society that um, almost didn't create room for personalities like they had and I just thought that was really smartly done because I'm imagining this movie without that flashback scene where we're just thrown into modern day Salem and um, we see these like three weird friggin' ladies with big personalities show up and I don't really remember the first movie like there's just more time that would need to be built for us to be bought into them the same way that I think that we we are now with that same level of like we just are here and we are rooting for them and we can see their love and their dynamic and their bond so much more on full display with that flashback scene so I just thought it was efficient um it was very entertaining to see young Winnie and that actress did an incredible job um but it, I think it I think it worked really well to set up the movie that way and frame it that way. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I hate flashbacks. I hate them so much. Yeah. I hate them. And so when the movie opened with a flashback, I rolled my eyes and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then we saw young Winifred and I went, you know what? I was wrong. <laughs> like we need this in our lives. Yes. She that actress, her name oh is Taylor Henderson, and she mm-hmm. did phenomenal. She was so good. Perfectly cast, got all the mannerisms down. Yeah. Like, incredible. Um, I was bothered by the dialogue. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is so painful to listen to. <laughs> but that's also what they were going for. So I couldn't be too mad at it because they achieved their objective. But I, I think that you're right. It was an important uh, way for us to like slowly wade back into the Sanderson sisters world uh, as opposed to just cannonballing in because uh, we got to see who they who they were and and even seeing this like progression of them. I also think that that flashback is what is supposed to set up this empathy and and help us understand uh Winnie's choice of that she loves her sisters more than anything else because it's it's yeah it's it's that's what we see in the beginning that she doesn't want to leave them they have to be together that's who she loves more than anybody in the world uh and then the payoff is that she still loves them they're still all together yada yada I don't know that that like that didn't super work for me but I see what they were trying to do and the symmetry there uh was was a nice attempt I don't I don't think they quite got there but it was it was a good try (laughs) yeah yeah that like the the parallel of that yeah um, echoing back back and forth to each other like she has always loved them um I think that's true. 
I think it also positions Winnie and the three of them, of course, but specifically Winnie from the perspective of like she represents, she's not just a witch. She almost is like this representation of the, the, the big, bold personality that is rejected by Mm -hmm. traditional Mm -hmm. society. And so like you immediately are like have this soft spot for her. Like you, she's bold and she is kind of bossy and whatnot, but like, at least for me, like so many times, especially in 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 um, societies like in Salem, Massachusetts, that were incredibly rigid and and had specific gender roles, like you're just rooting for her because you're like, I'm so glad that you get to be all of who you are now, and um, that rejection from society and that banishment from society that we see her endure, and then to see her as the Sanderson sisters and like full on full color saturation is kind of satisfying to see that payoff as well too even in that just like opening 20 30 minute sequence yeah yeah very true and and it's just nice to see um just these interesting female characters because all three of the Sanderson sisters are so different and I like that we get to see them playing off of one another we get to see their strengths and their weaknesses um but yeah Winnie is such a strong personality and and it's just nice to see that out there you know how many how many outspoken girls would would watch this and and feel empathy with her and like Mm -hmm. yeah I I know what it's like to be told to to calm down or you know uh not be listened to yeah, love it. Yeah, and I was surprised at how much humanity the three of them had. I, I, I mean, I don't remember much from the first movie, so in my head, I thought they were just like big caricatures and kind of like over the top. But there wasn't much more to them. Like it's all just a show of them being ridiculous. But there's so much heart and so much humanity mm-hmm. behind each of their personalities that. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by I don't know if they're that way in the first movie and this is something new in the sequel but in a lot of ways their banter or their personalities or the way that um, certain like moments where Winnie's like being very bossy and kind of stepping on others on her sister's Mm -hmm. toes and them kind of pushing back on it like all of that felt so grounded in the way that like real humans interact with each other and I didn't expect that at all I thought they were just big over the top like showy set pieces in a lot of ways and so they felt very very much more human to me than I was expecting and just so entertaining I yes. I love I love the dynamic between them. You know, cuz they are so different from each other. And honestly, these actresses looked like they were just having the time of their lives too, which always helps when yeah, when, when they look like they're having fun. And it was just it was fun to be back there with them, just being silly mm-hmm. and I do appreciate that the movie does do some callbacks to things in the first film, uh, which just ramps up that nostalgia and like, oh yeah, I remember that scene now. So there's just a lot, 
with what they did, their performances that, I don't know, it was just nice to revisit after all these years. Yeah, yeah. They're having the time of their lives. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They probably thought they would never don those outfits ever again. Yeah. I mean, you it's know? been almost 30 years. Like, Yeah, yeah. They still got it. Yeah. They still got it. Sure do. So the ending credit starts to roll and they're doing, they're performing this song, The Witches Are Back. And I was just like, you know, Disney, you are so smart and so business minded (laughs) because there are so few like Halloween party songs that are themed. You know, you've got like the Monster Mash or whatnot. Monster Mash, yes. Yeah, but like. There's Ghostbusters, maybe. One-eyed, uh, one-horned, flying purple people eater. But, like, great. I feel like so many Halloween parties <laughs> mm-hmm. are going to now be playing this song. And it's oh, perfect. It's fun, upbeat. It's got the, like, sound effects that are Halloween-themed. Like, this is smart, just business savvy from Disney, once again. Just so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I am – also quick to give Disney a lot of crap. Uh, But I got to say, man, their business smarts really coming through with this movie. Like you can just tell that strategic business decisions were made in the creation of this. Uh, But it it also (laughs) works really well. Like, like even the obnoxious product placement, it wasn't, just in your face but it was it was so in your face that it became a joke and I think that that's really smart and it kept up with the tone of the whole film you know so I just I I love that we can see the business decisions and they've just taken full ownership of we are a business with this movie it was just it was great to see just be yourself Disney you are a business accept it and and you can do good stuff like Hocus Pocus too. Yeah, and you're doing it well. Even that yeah. scene where they have the costume contest for the Sanderson sisters. Mm-hmm. I was like, I never yeah. thought of being the Sanderson sisters, but that's a good costume idea for like yeah. a group of three friends to do. You know, like how much is that just like subtly implanting these like seeds of ideas for next year's Halloween costumes that, mm-hmm. you or know, are, are this year's. Yeah, are like brought to the forefront of your mind now. Yeah, because this I think premiered on September thirtieth. So I wonder if yeah. coinciding with that, <sighs> if they had Sanderson sisters Halloween costumes ready to go for October when kids are buying them. You know? I yeah. so it's just so much strategy went into this. So it's brilliant. Good, so good, good. job, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like the characters in the movie have monetized the Sanderson sisters, like with the magic shop and the flame candle and whatnot, that it's – you're like, oh, well, that sounds cool. I kind of want one too. Like, I want a book. Book is the MVP of this movie. Can we just say? Heck, yeah. Book is amazing. I just want to hang out with book. Yeah. You know, I feel like he would have incredible stories to tell, just a wise soul. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Very wise. But also make sure to read the fine print in book because that is important. Mm-hmm. He's got some sass too. He's he gentle does. and kind, but he's got some sass when he needs to. 
my favorite kind of human. <laughs> and now apparently your favorite kind of book too. Right. Wow. Look at that. He's got, he's emotionally intelligent and in touch with his feelings. Very true. He can true. cry when he's sad. <laughs> he can shut himself if you're trying to go to the wrong page. Book yes. is the MVP. Yeah, he clearly expresses his opinions. He is not mm-hmm. shy about what he thinks. If you're doing something wrong, he's going to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Exactly. What a clear communicator. Thanks, book. <laughs> I love when he was smiling. And I think Cassie was like, wait, is he smiling? <laughs> right. I'm like, how can you not tell? The eyes are the window to the soul. <laughs> I guess I. Yes. Case. Yes. Single eye. Also, she was supposedly dating that jock. So we we can't trust oh, that she is able to read people or has any sort of situational awareness. Like mm-hmm. she she needs some moments. She needs probably another five years before she can develop up that. Too. Yeah, I hope she's a freshman in high school. So she's got four more years to <laughs> learn a couple things. Learn a couple things. <laughs> yeah, her choice in men is just. It's very bad. And to throw away your two best friends for this Yahoo, like, oh, come on, honey. If he was like the the hottie in school, like and just like charming and charismatic, like, okay, that's believable. Yeah. We can give you a little pass. But wow. (laughs) Really did not weigh these well at all. No. Not even a little bit. Oh well. Hopefully she learns. We'll we'll discover that in the, you know, limited series about Becca that yeah. Disney will roll out in 2023. Okay, but also even the way that they introduced this like tense dynamic between the two of them was so awkward. <laughs> like why? I was like, what is going on? Like, did they used to, are they, I, I don't know. My brain went a million different places. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. They were just friends that are in a fight. But. Wow, they really played that up. They did. <laughs> and and I was trying to remember a million years ago when I was in high school, if if that happened and like I felt that much tension when a friend started dating the stupid boy that lasted for a week and a half and then they were done. Like, no. It was just kind of like, okay, you go live your life. <laughs> so it was yeah. just it was funny trying to like remember back to high school and uh nope wasn't that dramatic <laughs> at least not in, in my friend group maybe this is just us as adults like, trying to understand 13 year olds you know yeah I mean as a 13 year old I did not understand 13 year olds so I'm not even <laughs> going to try now I'm dead because there's this whole thing where, like you didn't invite us to your party it's so endearing it's so endearing yeah but you didn't invite me to your halloween movie night so dumb you were dating that guy and they made fun of us i mean though i did appreciate that they were like you know what we're gonna draw some boundaries because true we don't like this guy and he is a bully and we don't um, take no no yeah it was great i was like okay that's real good. Don't subject yeah. yourself to him. Love it. Okay. Any other last thoughts about Hocus Pocus 2? I have one thought and then I have a quick shout out. Uh, okay. So my my other thing that I wanted to bring up is I love that Becca is 
a young black woman. And it just made me think about how for so long, black people and people of color have been shut out from fantasy and sci-fi and things like that. And, And those genres have been so whitewashed. And it was wonderful to see this young black woman who is a witch in this. And, and that was just, I don't know, to me, like that means so much because who knows how many like young black people might watch this and they'll, they'll see themselves in this, in this girl and, and be able to imagine themselves in these other worlds and doing all of these exciting, fantastical things. And I know it's just this one little movie, but I'm like, okay, we're we're going in the right direction. Maybe not as fast as we should, but things are are changing, and uh, hopefully, this trend will continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the diver- diversity in this movie is great to see. Gilbert as the magic shop owner, yeah. Becca's best friend being some sort of Asian uh, heritage or descent. Um, Oh, really good to see. Because in in the recap, the three minute recap video that I watched of Hocus Pocus one, all the kids are white. Oh, absolutely, all American. Yep, white. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, yes, it was a different time in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. We're we're starting to do a little better. Thirty years, we've we've made some progress. Yeah. We haven't made a lot of progress, but we've made some. Yeah, and uh, yes. we're we're gonna celebrate that little baby progress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Did so shout out. My quick shout out is there is a B fifty twos song in this movie, and so the B fifty twos were this band that was popular in I think the eighties and into the nineties. I grew up listening to the B fifty twos. My mother was stuck in the 80s, and that's part of the reason why I love the 80s so much is because I just grew up steeped in it, and uh, B-52s was one of her favorite bands, and so we'd listen to them Aww. all the time. So when that, that song that. came on, I was like, oh, this is Planet Claire. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm like, I know this song. Nobody knows who the B-52s are, so it was just mm-hmm. great to, to see it in Hocus Pocus 2. And then maybe other people places. Will appreciate the B-52s. So Yeah, someone will be like, what's that song? Let me look it up. Mm-hmm. Yep, Planet Claire by the B-52s. They're great. What what part did that play at? Uh, it was early in the in the film. I don't remember the scene now because okay. I was too wrapped up in like, oh, my God, I know this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it was towards the beginning for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. That's fun yeah. when you recognize it, mm-hmm. and, it it's a great and it's time. an obscure little little thing that only you know in this into like yeah. one corner of the music world. <laughs> yep. So yeah. Related to the music thing, so this movie started. I watched this on Disney Plus on my computer, and the movie started. And for some reason, I guess my Spotify also decided to start at the same time. Oh, and uh, you know the the hawk. Or Crow is flying through the air in this like moody 1600s Salem, uh, Massachusetts town. And there's French jazz playing in the background. And I was like, somehow, I don't think this is how this movie was intending to start. 
But, you know, sometimes, you know, Disney movies just start on this, like, <laughs> uplifting beat. So I'm like, this is an interesting choice of music to imagery pairing. And uh, then the townspeople showed up on screen. I was like, okay, yeah, this definitely – this definitely is not – this is not rocking. <laughs> so I discovered wow. that uh, my Spotify – my some ghosts mm. went into my Spotify and yeah. I decided to press play. Okay. It was it was Winnie, you know. She was just doing something spooky and fun, I was like, prank. Spotify, help me out here. Let's throw her <laughs> off. Mhm. I'm uh, upset that Book did not block her from doing this. Oh, come he on, is supposed Book. to be our protector. But maybe he was either, I mean, he was in a funny mood too. In, yeah, he could have been in a funny mood or he was with that other witch in the woods or he was trapped <laughs> in the glass box with Gilbert either way he That's was preoccupied true. and unable to help you know the real storyline of this movie is that book is no longer a captive Ooh. he has been set free yeah yeah wow that that is that is true Gilbert that had him like true. locked up in there the there was no, no there was no room to roam in the glass oh. cage Gilbert, come on, buddy. We were supposed to root for you, but really, he kept Book locked up. He was profiting off of Book and others. He brought back three evil witches who wanted to murder children. He tricked and manipulated these two girls who just loved magic? Yeah. Wow. I didn't actually think about this, actually. I didn't either. That's actually kind of messed up. (laughs) Wow. So is Gilbert the real villain here? Wow. I think He's... so. Oh. Wow. I'm I'm viewing that this capitalistic movie asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there we go. That's that's the villain is capitalism. Yes. We, Gilbert we... is Disney. <gasps> oh. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, all right. On that note. <laughs> I think mic drop and we're out of here, I right? No, so. I, I think you killed it. I we're not gonna talk that. So mm-hmm. So yeah. this was our review and discussion of Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, you can find it available to stream on Disney Plus. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection, and it's something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about Hocus Pocus 2. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at Strategic Whimsy Experiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Hocus Pocus 2 to get into the Halloween spirit now that we're in October. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you next week.